Welcome to Storytelling Breakdown. I'm Caleb Meyer. I'm Larissa Whitaker. And I'm Ben Clemmer. The three of us have gathered together to talk about a show that I'm surprised it's taken us the better part of four seasons-ish to get to, but we are finally tackling Firefly, and I'm very excited about that. My first experience with Firefly was in college, where I had seen the first two episodes, and that was about five or six years ago, and I haven't seen any since then. So it was interesting revisiting the episode we watched today, which was Out of Gas. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about ensembles in various spots, whether it's referencing the five-man band, we have discussed kind of that type of group dynamic and storytelling. I think back when uh, looking at Caleb, you, me, and Steven had the Rogue Producers of Star Wars story conversation because there was definitely some group of individuals gathered on a ship for an extended period of time creating of that party that kind of lent itself to feeling like Firefly in some of its moments. Okay, if you had to describe Firefly to someone who had never seen it before and you only got 10 seconds, what would you say? What is it? Space Cowboy Family. Ooh, I like that. Space Western Found Family. Aw. Episodic storytelling. Yeah, but... This is a lapse 10 seconds, I'm sure. Found Family is our family. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what that's I say. And in some cases, our literal family because you've got one set of siblings and one married couple in there. Yeah. Yeah. Very colorful, spacey, western, southern accents, interesting jargon. With the And this is, I mean, right at the top, uh, when you look up the translations, I'm bringing this up well aware that I will probably be bleeping some of it, uh, but there's the translations of some of the foul language that's used in Firefly because the characters speak English, but they swear in Mandarin, and so there's a lot of East meets West elements throughout the show. And some of those translations are absolutely amazing when you look them up. One is motherless goat of all motherless goats. Mm. Uh, one is creative. Holy testicle Tuesday. Ooh. Another is uh, shove all the planets in the universe up my. <laughs> and there's. I don't think that'll fit. No. Uh, <laughs> Holy mother of God and all her wacky nephews. A fair number. At least two of those are from Wash, if I'm recalling correctly. I think the Holy Testicle Tuesday was from Mal. At the top here, then, maybe this is a good time to kind of talk about some of the character archetypes. Because sure. we get, in terms of timeline of the show, and as we were talking about this, I know this was something I mentioned. Like, if you only watched two episodes of Firefly, if you watched the two-hour pilot, effectively, and then watched this one, you would know how everybody got on the ship. Because the Serenity pilot... Shows and you Serenity how. is the spaceship that they all fly around on and go on adventures and whatnot. Sort of showing the origins of how this found family came together. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're pointing to, Ben? Yeah, and, and, and obviously the, the name of the ship uh, pops up all over the place because obviously the name of the ship in the show, name of the first episode, name of the movie that would come later, name of my first base that I owned because I am a huge fan of this show <laughs> when I got that base. And you have... Well, and also, I mean, the yeah. name of the ship is like sort of the thematic thing for the whole, the entirety, you know, the whole show. Finish, like yeah. they, the point of the show, like these people are looking for serenity. And we see that draw in the pilot episode. Well, actually to a degree, like this show actually, or this show, this episode, uh, again, we'll be talking about out of gas kind of shows the draw for everybody. And that's as simple as in it for the money, Jane Cobb or getting to keep the engine running and do something that she loves and seeing exploring outer space in the universe for the first time with Kaylee. And I know I'm kind of putting the end at the beginning here, 
but as we were watching this episode uh, before we started, uh, the final held shot on Mal at the end, I really appreciate because they don't show serenity until afterwards. And then, but the look on his face, they almost wouldn't have had to like Nathan Fillion sells that so well in that moment of just like the, yeah, this is it. And it's interesting because each character is there for their own reasons, but ultimately they're all the same reason. It's to find a home because Mm -hmm. the ship is their home. Like Kaylee joins because she wants to work on engines and stuff, but like she gets to take care of the ship and, there's Build a sense it. of purposefulness yeah. in that. And, you know, Jane, they're like, you get you get a bunk. <laughs> you get your own room to yourself. Like, mm. there is money here, but it's also, like, a sense of ownership over your own space. And, you know, Wash finds his home in Zoe because mm. clearly he's somewhat interested in piloting the ship, but he's really interested in Zoe in that scene when you meet him because he keeps, like, looking at her, and she's like, I got a bad feeling about this guy. <laughs> then they get married. <laughs> yep. My brain is now going to other episodes because just like uh, Wash's description or of or it's like or to be with a woman who could kill me with her pinky <laughs> and just descri- like their whole dynamic is just wonderful. And we've talked about some of these archetypes before because you could almost like Mal to Zoe or Mal to Jane in some respects is kind of leader Lancer. There's kind of some foils back and forth there. And could you give us a refresher, Ben, when we talk about the five-man band, who all makes that up? So I pull from Overly Sarcastic Productions, and now having watched one of Red's videos more recently, I will include the uh, kind of addendum to this that we didn't, I think, the first time we talked about this in the podcast. Five-man band is the idea that you've got leader, lancer, big guy, smart guy, heart, comprising your five-person team, all contributing in some way, shape, or form, and all have kind of archetypes that go with them that you can kind of see reflected across media. Mm. And it's a lot easier than at that point uh, you can apply it to uh, the core team of characters in Avatar The Last Airbender. You can apply it to the Guardians of the Galaxy. You can apply it to the Justice League or the Avengers. The Ninja Turtles. Yep. You can. <laughs> Friends. Yes. Any team dynamic, you can usually overlay this and get some form of overlap. Mm. Jane as big guy, Kaylee and Wash both kind of to some extent smart guy. I mean, obviously, this is a nine character ensemble cast. I was going to say, this is yeah. uh, out of ensemble you know, pieces of media that we've discussed, this is the biggest ensemble that we've tackled, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the show does a really effective job of really establishing the sense of family between the characters very quickly. Even just in the one episode we watched tonight, they pivot so effectively from the action to showing you the people that are going to be involved in the action. And even though it's an episode that occurs in the middle of the series, you still get a sense of the show reminding you that these are people. And there's a lot of little people-y moments in between, like celebrating someone's birthday or um, people just gathering around the table to enjoy a meal together in between the action. And I think that use of character and that sense of humanity that goes throughout that episode really drives up the stakes and drives up the action because you care about making sure these people get out of the situation okay
uh, that early birthday party sequence. Mm -hmm. It does the classic movie and TV. You hear the second half of the joke and see everyone laughing with no context, and it shows camaraderie, but without depending on the audience finding whatever you don't actually have to be funny yeah you do not Mm -hmm. have to be funny and then they put wash in the audience's shoes by having him come in and wanting to hear the story or wondering what's going on while everyone is laughing okay he kind of becomes the audience at that point Mm -hmm. then we do get the the wonderful dynamics as kaylee brings out the cake uh and there's a little bit of a romantic tension between simon and kaylee throughout basically the entirety of firefly's run that ultimately given it only ran one season they didn't really get to do anything with uh until we got to the movie and seeing this dynamic early on really does tell you everything you need to know about the characters. And given that, having previously seen the pilot, okay, we know about Mal and Zoe's history. We saw Shepard book as well as Simon and then River aboard uh, the ship in that first episode. They are the known quantities for the audience at this point, providing you are like me and saw the show in correct episode order, <laughs> watching it after <laughs> it had actually aired. But we do not have context for Jane, Anara, Kaylee, or Wash, and we get that here. I think the show does a really good job because the whole episode is a series of flashbacks mixed with the ongoing story that you're seeing for Out of Gas, of the ship running out of gas or oxygen or life support of using color to draw a strong distinction between what is happening now and what was happening then and seeing all the cold blues and purples that really capture Nathan Fillion's character's journey throughout the episode, but flashing back to these warm reds and greens so you know when we're in the past versus when we're in the present. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. They use the color palette really effectively because everything's kind of like sepia tone kind of in the far back Mm -hmm. flashbacks. And then it's standard color palette that we're used to but then yeah cold and blue and just with the the ship being shut down as those are intercut no oxygen yeah he's so lonely Mm -hmm. absolutely isolated all of his buddies are gone well and there's so many from the the kind of early on in the episode counterpoint to the moment with the the birthday scene is the first time you see the galley you just see chairs overturned the galley's a mess and no context until Mm -hmm. Mal hits the grade at the during the introduction also with no context it was so effective it reminded me a lot of some of the shots in avengers endgame which i know joss whedon was not directly involved in but to see the sort of influences his creative style had at the early stages of his career and how that has gone on to influence even larger projects he's worked on like there's a quippiness in firefly that you can feel um in the avengers film from 2012 Mm -hmm. of how these characters sort of dissolve the tension of a moment by doing a little joke or saying something playful to each other, sort of pulling back from the intensity of the emotion of the scene at different points just to give the audience some levity. Mm-hmm. Even that fight between Wash and Mal, like in the cockpit where he's like, you know, you got to boost the signal and he doesn't want to. And then it like, they're still yelling at each other, but Wash is just like, well, yeah, I guess I'll go do that then. You're in this intense moment with the characters, but then it very quickly like... Yeah, and twists you out of it. And then Jane, you'll, you'll use up all the air. Like Firefly in some ways, like I feel like is a drama if Jane and Wash are not in the show. <laughs> like, they and inject so much of the humor and levity for the most part. Oh my gosh. Well, there's a lot of different things that, again, we, a lot of different angles we can come at this uh, from. And 
I think you, we can look at everything from, uh, I know I've, on past episodes, I think going back all the way to season one, uh, the quote from Robert McKee in Story, where he describes, and I don't have it right in front of me, so I guess I'm paraphrasing here, it is something to the effect of true characters revealed in the decisions a human being makes under pressure. Mm-hmm. And I love this episode for that because everyone is under pressure from Jump. And I, I was uh, telling you guys before we started that this felt, at least to me, like I remembered thinking of this episode back in season two when we did our, uh, Caleb, you and I, we did our swap of Scrubs and MASH. And there's the MASH episode with the ticking clock where they have to do something to keep a patient alive, but they have X amount of time before eventually what they're doing could potentially cause them to become paralyzed. And the clock runs throughout the entire episode until they're able to successfully uh, complete an operation. And again, from the beginning with this one, okay, we don't know what's wrong. We're gradually getting more and more information. And even as we're time jumping all over the place, that tension is there once we know what the stakes are. Like, even as we have enough information to know, oh, like Mal has the part, he's got the catalyzer, everything's going to be okay. But then Mal is in bad enough shape that is he going to be able to call the crew back? Like, they do just such a good Mm -hmm. job of escalating stakes, lowering stakes, escalating them again throughout. I mean, the episode did a good job. Obviously, I have the knowledge that Mal does not die in this episode, but it feels like he could have, you know, especially Mm -hmm. there at the very end when he's trying to make it back to the cockpit to recall them. The camera is like POV from his view and like the edges of his vision are fading and going dark and you're like, oh, this is is real bad. To that isolation point, as I was going back through uh, on IMDb, this has nothing to do with the isolation point, but now that I mentioned IMDb, I'm recalling uh, this is the highest rated Firefly episode on there uh, just by like a point. I think the other ones that are closer are Mrs. Reynolds, uh, Ariel, uh, and one other one, I'm sure. Oh, of course, uh, Objects in Space is also a very highly rated episode. And this one also only has 15 credited actors who appear on screen because, again, they're, they've taken a route out into the middle of nowhere that Wash establishes during the conversation once he comes to the table. Uh, yeah, an 18-hour trip is going to take, take us close to a week by this route, and then that very quickly becomes a problem once the ship is dead in the water. Mm. And then you've got the salesman, you've got Bester, <laughs> the previous mechanic, and you've got the crew that boards them and everyone else who's normally on the show, and that is it. It's a really creative way to give you time to spend with the main characters and explore who they are and how they came to this position in their life while still telling a really interesting and exciting story that feels like it has a lot of momentum and energy in it. Since you aren't just giving the background for the sake of the background, but it is it is like Mal is reflecting back on his journey as he's going through, like seeing his life flash before his eyes through the tent. And that's just such a smart way of bringing all these different elements of a story together to tell you more about who these people are without it feeling like you're reading a long exposition or narrative it's all woven in to what keeps moving this story forward well and it doesn't feel cheap either because since they are in this life-threatening situation each flashback that pertains to like a specific character comes after mal has a direct like interaction and one-on-one conversation with them so he's remembering especially with anara that's the one that got me where it's like you have the flashback to when she first joins the crew or gets on the ship and then that moment when you know he's sending her out and like you know there's a 90 percent chance that he's gonna die so Mm. there's that like moment between them to speak to that further there is i forget who originally said it please remind us listener if you know there's this idea 
in writing of causality where it's not trying to create something where you say, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then that happened, but instead prompting it. So you're saying, and so we're here, and and so then this happened, and so, and so, and I think that you can really feel that when you watch this episode where I was trying to take notes to have a bunch of insightful things or some things to say at the end of this. And I found myself just getting completely swept up by the story that was being told. I've watched this episode enough times that this go around it was i found myself keeping tracks of two things one being like the some of the real character revealing moments like speaking to the inara interaction i just from flashback to present time there's the biggest change in dynamics of inara actively telling him you don't have to go down with the ship and just you can you you can see the tension and the care between the Mm. two of them whereas when they are first introduced i mean mostly tension yeah Yeah. it is it is buyer clients there's like it's a very formal back and forth uh anara feels more like she has more recently interacted with her companion training that she comes to the ship with they butt heads yeah Mm. Uh, and, and do throughout the show when tensions are not as high and the other thing i found myself keeping track of and I want to do like a full, we'll get to a full episode on this, I'm sure, at some point of just this idea of setting as character. Because mm-hmm. Firefly is great for that because the ship feels like a character. Yes. And you are able to, throughout this episode, weave those flashbacks around the ship as we have moments of, okay, Zoe is in the med bay getting the shot of adrenaline. And then we cut to Mal doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. in the exact same location. That and, sense of history in the place. Mm-hmm. Well, and you see the growth because, you know, when Mal first buys it, it's, you know, a piece of crap where something was living in. You know, it was out in a junkyard. When you get to the present stuff, even, you know, the most current timeline when he's trying to fix the ship by himself and walking through the kitchen area specifically, you know, because it has all those all that painting, like the scroll work of like vines and stuff all around the doorways, which did Kaylee add that? I believe so. I, mm-hmm. Well, and there's, there's little personal touches from everybody all around the ship. But yeah, you get to see how over the years that the ship did grow with them as well. Mm-hmm. One detail that I caught in this watch through to that effect, going back to the birthday se- sequence at the beginning, the candles are massive. Like they're not actual birthday candles. They, I was looking at it this time and I realized between the color and just the general like shape and vibe there, clearly those were pulled out of an RS shuttle yeah. <laughs> as a contribution <laughs> for this. So it's just wonderful little details mm. that you can trace back to different characters. Or even just the way they make Serenity feel very homey. There's that little moment between Simon and Inara right outside the med bay, and they just have a couch out there. Like they it's mm-hmm. like a it's just like a little sitting living room area. And like even just the decorations and stuff they have on the walls, like it feels very homey. I love that moment juxtaposed with, I think, like almost immediately after that, they cut to Shepherd Book and River and just that Simon and River both have horrible bedside manners, <laughs> depending on the circumstances. We'll freeze to death first. They got that blue blood sentimentality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my word. So speaking of little character moments, there are some things about the way the women in the show were treated throughout the episode that made me a bit uncomfortable, most prominently with Kaylee. I'm not into any grown man calling me or anybody else good girl. Men will be men and women will be women. And 
when he was trying to convince her the importance of trying to put the ship back together and give her a pep talk, it felt less like two peers interacting and more like a fatherly figure trying to coach his daughter through something. Like there's this persistent infantilization of women that happens throughout the show where one woman is immediately hurt and can't do anything. The second woman is so jarred that she can't do anything till she gets a pep talk. The third woman has things kind of figured out, but there is still like this constant thing where she seems to be coming up against discrimination she's aware she faces because of her profession. The thing I noticed, <laughs> to speak to the same thing, when they have that talk where Mal's like, you guys got to get on the shuttle and go away and like the heat's gone. So everyone is like cold and bundled up. Uh, the character River is, yeah, just still in a dress like a little <laughs> summer dress. And I was like, that's a weird yes. choice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and Jane was still sleeve or wore short sleeves as well. But yeah, I know for the most part, everyone's putting on coats as layers at that point. Whether we're talking about uh, statements that came from people who worked with Whedon on Buffy or on Justice League, I, you have to kind of have the art and artist conversation mm -hmm. when it comes to anything that he's touched. And there's a wonderful quote from Will Wheaton where he describes you can basically you can have the headspace to simultaneously go yeah Joss Whedon not a great guy we don't need to praise him and talk about how good the shows are because there are other amazing creative people writers directors and actors of course uh, and everyone involved in the production who made the product that we get to see also this episode again on IMDb's highest rated episode of Firefly not written or directed by Whedon mm -hmm. just wonderful to see the just how strong the team is across the board that for whom this was a labor of love yeah which is what comes through in some of the details like you were pointing out with the little I ivy work mm -hmm. so kudos to the set designers yeah or like noticing that the candles used on the doctor's cake were from Inara's room or things like that you can really tell that people all across the board were approaching the production of the show wholeheartedly or even just the cinematography the when mm -hmm. Mal's you know he fixes the engine and he's trying to go back to the cockpit to call them back that whole sequence because it's you know POV really gives you a good sense of space of the ship because yes. like he goes from the engine room like up into the cargo area up through the dining room and then you know through that little walkway up to the cockpit. They had some larger and extended sets because at the beginning of the movie Serenity, they're able to do a one take, I think starting in the cockpit and go all the way down to uh, the loading bay. Oh, neat. And I, and I think they, they said it was like there was like one cut in there because it is two different sets, but they filmed it in such a way that blink and you'll miss it. And it's very well done. And yeah, no, the, the ship as character it was an actual functional. You can go all the way from one end to another here. Uh, throughout the whole thing. And that's used effectively as transition points throughout this particular episode. In mm -hmm. Out of Gas, whenever they're moving from the past or present, there's one particular shot toward the beginning of the episode where Mal and Zoe move through that pear-shaped doorway, and then it flashes again to, like, it just transitions by color into the from the past into the present. And I just thought that was so neat. And there's other little moments like that throughout the show with the way the camera moves from one space to another. In addition to the color helping you have the sense of change, the way that the shots are framed still gives you that same sense of place. It's that's it's the same it's like the Star Wars, you know, the classic Star Wars wipe is a transition that tells the audience, oh, like time has passed as we're transitioning to this different scene. And it's this episode does the same thing in really effective ways. Mm -hmm. The coolest one, in my opinion, was when they walk past 
you know, Mal in the most present timeline when Mal is on the ground bleeding out in the cargo bay. And then they flash back to him and Zoe buying the ship. And then when they walk through and the camera just pans down and he's back there down bleeding out on the floor again. That was really, really cool. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's again, like in the first 10 minutes, like, like just the establishment of everything that's to come in this episode, they do a, a wonderful job. And even just like the very, like immediately after the explosion happens in the engine room, just kind of everybody's crisis management washes and route to the cockpit until he realizes a result of that fireball is Zoe is down or Mal communicates to Jane, hey, we've got to close the bulkheads, but he's the only person who probably heard that, so Jane is going and doing that, and Simon's realizing, okay, I need to go get my medical supplies, and Jane just has to stop him. It's like, Mm -hmm. nope, if I let you through, we all die. Those doors are sealed for a reason. And just those little moments and back and forth as everybody is quickly trying to figure out what they need to do. Yeah, it really creates that sense of urgency as you're watching it. To transition from something you brought up earlier, Larissa, to something I would like to talk about a little bit with this episode, you mentioned how Zoe is immediately incapacitated. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I noticed on this watch through was all of the little ways that most everybody on the crew contributes to Mal surviving the event. And the, the last of which, and the most important of which, is the fact that Zoe would not have let them leave in the first place. So her calling everybody back and then finding Mal and rescuing him at the end is the last of those moments. And that's also obviously a writing decision. It's like, okay, we know character-wise Zoe's never going to leave Mal. So for, for them to even get to this decision in the first place and for Mal to be as isolated as he is, which very much contributes to the feel of the episode, they do kind of have to incapacitate Zoe in the early moments. And then she's the last of the heroic actions from the crew to make it so everybody survives. Hmm. And there's so many of those little details in there. Like even just like from Kaylee showing Mal where the catalyzer is supposed to go. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, two, I'm thinking two things in that moment. The first is Firefly holds up so well on rewatches because if you go back and watch the pilot in the first planet they land on in the first episode, hey, we need to get a, and it's a catalyzer. Oh. She, na- she drops, name drops that part in the first episode. And it's just like, that is an amazing piece of seeding for later in the mm-hmm. season. But it's also the moment where she's, when she's showing him where the broken one would normally go. And I'm thinking, I think that's the only type of that interaction that they have in the entire show. But it's key for Mal to be able to make the repair mm-hmm. uh, when he needs to later on in the episode. Yeah. I like that Wash gives him blood at the end because they had that sort of contention throughout the whole episode where Wash is like, all right, my main concern is my wife. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm focused on. Also, we're all going to die. And, you know, <laughs> I'm upset about that. <laughs> and Mal is very much, you know, in captain mode. He's like, no, do what I say when I tell you or when I tell you to do it. You know, when Mal essentially sacrifices himself for the crew to give them all a better chance of living. I thought that was a nice little, you know, tie in moment where Wash is like, all right, I will do this thing <laughs> for you to help save your life. Yeah, it's a wonderful little detail. And then also the just like showing him, hey, here's how you can call everybody back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane closing up the bulkheads. <laughs> and then just to what extent, like, again, there's so much tension between Mal and Nara. There's the, those longer conversations where Kaylee is explaining to Mal what's going on. And then after Jane and Mal have talked, Jane's goodbye is just, well, and then walks away. <laughs> mm. That seems fitting for his character. For what little I do know about him, he seems pretty consistently to be a man of few words, especially fewer kind words. Mm -hmm. I think this is, if I'm recalling it correctly, because one of the episodes that uh, we would have watched in communication 
uh, was objects in space. One of my favorite Jane moments in, is in that episode because the bounty hunter is on the ship and it's like, okay, well, Jane would be one of the few who could really take him in a, in a, in a one-on-one fight. And Jane does get woken up and you see him just go, like, and he pulls the blanket off of his gun rack and it's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> and then he rolls up in the blanket and goes back to sleep. <laughs> he actually didn't <laughs> hear whatever was going on <laughs> and does not come to help. But for a moment there, you think Jane's about to come in and throw down. That's a really fun misdirection. <laughs> That's cute. There were a lot of cute things in the show. I wonder, does Guardians of the Galaxy exist without this show, you know, coming before it? Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. Because there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, from, again, some of the team dynamics and archetypes that carry over. But even just the whole, you know, it's like a found family stuck on a ship together and mm-hmm. they just sort of travel the universe. You can make a lot of those comparisons very easily. Like, just in terms of whether it's snarky smart guy some sort of tech background one of the funniest members of the party rocket wash big dumb muscle also one of your biggest sources of comedy drax jane Mm. and then there's also parallels with that you could almost you could almost point to river and then either nebula and gamora just given the skill sets once we start to learn more because not this episode, but there are other episodes in the movie where you're able to see what River can do when she's uncorked in a fight. I don't know how much this matters, but I would almost put River as being more like Groot because there is this sense of separation between her and the rest of the characters and this sense of difference. And then it, eventually she does come out as being the muscle in all those things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would almost peg someone like Inara as being closer to a Gamora because there's a sense of closed offness to them and standoffishness to them and like the sense of protection of themselves as they navigate their dynamic with other characters because they've spent so much of their life interacting with people who are quick to take from them. That's a wonderful comparison. River as a character is one that fits into... And I believe, if I'm recalling the channel correctly, because you were the one who originally recommended it to me, Pop Culture Detective. Yeah. And the video he did on the uh, the trope that he called Born Sexy yesterday, mm-hmm. where you have, okay, female character who doesn't necessarily know everything that's going on around her per se. Or a kind child. Of fe- yeah. <laughs> y- yeah. So young female character, fish out of water, uh, sexualized to a degree. And then ends up having these absurdly badass abilities that come out of nowhere and save everybody in some sort of situation. Well, that seems that seems consistent even with how Kaylee is presented to a degree. Because while she wasn't born yesterday, there is this idea that she's somehow just magically good at machines. She's never had to do work on it. It's something that her dad appreciates about her. The whole reason why she's in the ship is because the machines make her hot. So that's why she was there having sex with some guy. And that's how her character is discovered. Like, I think that there are some elements here where it's cool that a woman is getting to work in a field that is typically associated with men or traditionally masculine, but she still doesn't feel to me like she's being given the same dignity of humanity that might be given to other characters because there's not like a connection to reality and how she got good at what she's good at. Because if you want to take a look at, we've got five and four male crew to female crew, and if you're going to go, okay, let's put two caveats on this. Name a female character on the crew of Serenity who both boarded the ship of their own agency and their sexuality had nothing to do with it. And the only one that meets both of those criteria is Zoe. 
I could sense as a viewer that this really felt like it was from the time it was in. Like it feels like the men running the show were trying. Like they wanted to represent women in a good light or give Kaylee something that she could do that the other men couldn't. Like she could figure out how to operate the machine and the guy who was supposed to be the mechanic that they originally hired couldn't. But there's just areas, opportunities for growth to still really hear and take from what a woman's perspective might be on that versus assuming like here are the traits that we value and it's pretty cool that a woman could do those also. Mm. I don't think that the show inherently diminishes women across the board. There are definitely opportunities for the female characters on the show to be complex and to have interesting decisions to be made and have power. I just think that there are other areas where if they remade Firefly today maybe they could make some other considerations for how people could be represented more equitably. I would like to also say things can be flawed and have opportunities for change and improvement and still be beautiful. I do want to go back to, again, that idea of everyone in the crew contributing to everyone making it out alive. We've talked about Kayla. We've talked about Wash. I'm also trying to, yeah. Inara? flies one of the shuttles. The fact that they're even able to split into two in the first place is because she knows how to fly one of them. I'm also wondering if, and I feel like it would have to be Zoe or Jane, probably Jane, just based on quantity of weapons, whose gun was hanging in the hangar bay that Mal is able to Mm. get to make it so that everybody gets off the ship. When Simon's a doctor, obviously that's pretty important. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Mm -hmm. 100%. I want to get your sense on this, Larissa, because Caleb, you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier today, too. In terms of the timing of this show, if I'm recalling this correctly, because you have seen, I think, a majority of Buffy. I have. I have only watched season four and above because I don't like Angel. Okay, fair enough. Team Spike? Team Spike. I mean, I have complicated feelings about all things, but yes, Team Spike in short. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good point. You're true. Yes. Because of the timing of the shows... I think, I mean, and you can see it in the way basically I think every season from five on was written because, again, we're going back to network television ruling the era here. Like, there's always a possibility, okay, maybe we get canceled. So in some ways, Mm. is season five the ending of Buffy's story? Is season six or seven and so on? Yeah, they kind of have to keep going back to change it. They're like, ah, man, we really wrote season five to be the end, and now she's back, and it's season six, so we Mm -hmm. have to deal with that, and And so on and so forth. I believe, if I'm recalling the story correctly here, there was, because at a certain point, and this also, we were talking about this earlier, ties back to the like everyone's experiences because I think once you got far enough along in Buffy like even go before they did season seven it's like okay Sarah Michelle Gellar is exhausted but you also have coming into that okay is there going to be a seventh season what is going to look like and I think if there hadn't been with the way things timed out a seventh season of Buffy Nicholas Brendan who played Xander would have been first in line for the part of Captain Mal Oh, yeah. And, and then I have once, my own yeah. thoughts about Xander, but I don't know so much about Nicholas Brendan as a person. So I will withhold them for now. Because then after that, in season seven of Buffy and then in seasons four and five of Angel, they did bring in Nathan Fillion, Gina Torres, and Adam Baldwin all played characters in those seasons throughout. Well, it's neat when you're able to take the people you've worked with before and have like a positive, and hopefully I would assume, but as we've heard, maybe not, but have a positive experience with to be able to see them used in your other projects. That's why I like about my guy, Adam Sandler. 
I have a number of stories from trips taken to Comic Cons uh, over the years, uh, thinking back to late 2010s here, uh, because well, I think I'd never got to meet or get an autograph from Ron Glass, but I think I may have actually seen him because I think he was at an Indiana Con. Let's During slow down yes. for a second, Ben. Yes. As memory serves, mm-hmm. or if memory serves, you are on a mission to collect <laughs> signatures from all the cast members of Firefly, correct? It's, like, do you or, not have a photo it, that yes. has multiple yes, around it? That has, yes. Or yeah. That, How what, many have you collected so far? Only two. That's only two. still more than I have. I'm quite <laughs> impressed. <laughs> well, so obviously, uh, Ron, Ron Glass, who plays Shepard Book, uh, passed away a number of years ago. But I think I did actually see him at a con that it, at one of the, and I can't remember if it was PopCon at this point, close to a decade ago. But they did have Jewel State, uh, I think around 2017, who plays Kaylee. It was wonderful to get to meet her, got a picture, got it signed, got to... And just getting to talk to her and convey that, like, Firefly, I think Firefly was the first show that Melissa and I watched together all the way through. It was a, a lovely conversation. That is you- so sweet. So based on your experience of sharing your story with Firefly to someone who worked on the show, like, would you say, and I know it was a brief interaction, mm-hmm. did she feel connected to the character of Kaylee when you oh, met her in real life? Oh, for sure. Just no. as sweet and lovely? Yeah. No, there, that, that was... That was what was wonderful to see in meeting her and in meeting Adam Baldwin, who plays Jane. Both of them were were just uh, couldn't have been nicer in, in their interactions. Uh, Baldwin, I have a few few more stories uh, because I did end up. It's a group shot picture that I was able to take. Okay, I've already got Jewel State on there, so Baldwin was able to sign it as well. But during that interaction, our, our good friend who we've had in the podcast, Lucas Gerke, also got to meet him and get a signature, and his was on his copy of the for DVD case because Jane is depicted on the sleeve for disc three. And when Lucas got to talk to Adam Baldwin, he told him, you know, what's wrong with this picture? And he looks at it and goes, that's Mal's gun, (laughs) not Jane's, (laughs) but it was the prop they had when we took the picture. (laughs) If you have uh, a copy of the DVDs as given the cult following the show has, I imagine that is still primary viewing for a number of fans. And you have, they were also in those interactions throughout that day uh, when I uh, got the signature from him, uh, when I when I asked for him to sign because Jewel State's uh, is, I think, stay shiny or something or shiny because that's one of Kaylee's catchphrases. Aww. And <laughs> there's a speech that Jane gives in the episode Jane Town uh, that ends with him saying something to the effect of, well... I guess that's something. <laughs> and uh, I also told him the story of how, again, my how my then girlfriend, now wife, Firefly was the first show we watched together. And so Adam Baldwin signed the picture. Hey, Ben and Melissa. Well, I guess that's something. Oh, that is <laughs> so sweet, and, I don't, and I don't know to what degree that's this so is true, awesome. but he did say, you know, I think you might be the first person who's asked me for that quote specifically. Because <laughs> Jane has... All sorts of wonderful mm-hmm. lines across the show. And That's awesome. I think what I, a cool story. And I think I may have, I also helped keep the conversation going uh, because obviously when, when usually when celebrities come to big cons like that or come to something like Indiana Comic Con, they're usually going to be there for their booth and autograph signing and everything. And then they're going to be there for some sort of panel or Q&A. And for his Q&A, the topic of uh, the episode, the message came up and and. Adam Baldwin was like, well, yeah, no, it comes from, from uh, the, he gets the, I think we think he was talking about Jane's hat. He's like, yeah, he gets that when they're at the mail service where he gets the hat and then uh, Zoe and Mal get the body of 
Mal's old war buddy. What was his name or something? Like that. And once the name question was asked, I remember being in the crowd and just yelling, Tracy, <laughs> <laughs> no, remembering the character. It's like, yeah, Tracy, that's it. So oh, yeah, it just, look at you, Ben. <laughs> it, it has been a joy throughout much of my adult life being a fan of the show. What is it you like the most about being a Firefly fan? I think I enjoy just to what extent there's pieces of media that have a unique character kind of across the board establish a lot of the a lot of similar kind of moments and conversations you can have mm-hmm. with other fans or people that you share and enjoy the show with because you can have the conversation that I think we're going to have in a little bit who's your favorite character you can also just hum a few bars of the theme song and okay yeah we know it's Firefly or the entire just brown coat aesthetic of every like a lot of merch that relates to the show or just visually uh, and we talked about this with uh, Vox Machina and Stranger Things just how the characters are all visually iconic even with one season again you can just see aspects of prop craft or costuming and know who's what's associated with who so with this show having such a strong cult following and all these unique signifiers for who's a fan and how you can feel represented by the show no matter what kind of person you are as far as your personality or what your interests are just like the characters feel a sense of belonging despite their differences on the ship of Serenity, do you as a fan get to experience that sense of belonging among other fans? I think I saw the show at a good time in my life for that to hit home. I think mm. that's fair because I, I would have seen it probably either late junior high or very early high school. That so is that, a time when, uh-huh. yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Wanting to feel like you're part of a group. Mm-hmm. Or... Yeah, no, that, that matters matters Mm -hmm. a lot that makes it even more special that was what is that what inspired you like your appreciation of it It was why you shared it with your girlfriend now wife as the first show you watched together yeah for sure and just and it does a wonderful job like especially because it holds up so well on rewatches because again i was able to watch it tonight with you guys and it's just like i never noticed the candle thing before Mm. or just some of these other little details but you can kind of pick okay what are we going to look for now it just speaks to the level of craft and detail that went into it that it just you can keep coming back to it and it's always going to surprise you regardless of how much time all of us have spent with this series and uh, perhaps this can be a if you ever want to borrow the dvds or find the rest of it on streaming happy to have more conversations as we go forward here uh but we wanted to have the favorite characters conversation because this one's tough or at least i would think it would be because there's so there's so many wonderful personalities (laughs) go ahead my favorite is Anara. I think she carries herself with a dignity that she may not always be offered, and I think that's admirable. Also, she has interesting taste in how she decorates her spaces, and I appreciate her making sure she's living a life of luxury even when she's out in space. That's the way to do it. And Caleb, how about you? I don't know how much this is influenced by his other work, but probably Wash. Uh, That's fair. I am a big Alan Tudyk fan. Uh, ever since A Knight's Tale. But I also think Wash, I identify a lot with Wash. It's where, like, you know, he does his own stuff, and, like, he's in his own lane, and he is good about that, but he's kind of, you know, he's kind of snarky, and he cares about the things that he cares about and the people that he cares about, and I appreciate that. Yeah, Mm. I mean, comic relief comes in in the clutch when needed. Uh, So many wonderful lines. Maybe the most iconic introduction in the entire show with the dinosaurs on the ship with the console. dinosaurs <laughs> and then 
Yeah, one of the lines Could from the curse movie. your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> Becomes a meme. Oh my goodness. Wait, I that's am... a meme from this show. Well, or just that yeah. whole oh. opening interaction, the dinosaur, that whole thing is so iconic. It's that's like yes, awesome. we will. This <laughs> will be our land, and we will thrive, <laughs> and we shall call it. <laughs> This land. <laughs> I think we should call it your grave. Oh, curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Ah, mine so is an charming. evil laugh. Now die. Oh, oh, God. And, and then, then the sensors are going off and he realizes he needs to fly the ship and he clears off even more toys from the console to do it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Which, if it wasn't obvious, also Wash is my favorite character. But it's, Interesting. it's I, tough. I, I, I wasn't going to pick that. Oh, for God. you? For Ben or I wouldn't for have, you? Sorry, I wouldn't have pegged that Ben would pick. Wash. No, I would also pick Wash, but where would you? I thought it was gonna be Jane. <laughs> Fair. Mm, no, I I also identify more with the pilot comic relief than the. I'll put it this way: I feel like my favorite characters usually have an. If we were doing D and D stats here, usually have above an intelligence of two, <laughs> or sorry, plus two. Oh goodness! Because and that's also something fun to do. Like go back, especially once you've played RPGs, go back and look at your media and and it's like okay, it's like. Jane has a strength of 20, but an intelligence of eight. <laughs> or Zoe has a dexterity of 20, and, and it would just like go along the lines and just, yeah, stat the characters. Mm. And they were intelligence and wisdom based. Or, or Shepherd Book, a wisdom of 20. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And there are, yeah, this show has stuck with me just because there are so many just of those. When you have an ensemble cast, especially one where you just know you're going to kind of have everybody in the box of the ship for a certain amount of every single episode, you can do so many wonderful little interactions and character moments and kind of just see what quirks everyone brings out of everyone else. Mm. And for only going a season in a movie, Firefly did that really, really well. So, listener, if you want to tell us who your favorite character is, you can write us at Info at storytelling-breakdown.com. And tell us about your favorite episode of Firefly. We would love to feature you on our community blog. Yes, indeed. And that's a tough one. I mean, Out of Gas is my favorite. The pilot is amazing. Object in Spacer is amazing. Our Mrs. Reynolds is amazing. Ariel is amazing. Again, there's just all sorts of interesting dynamics and interactions. And Out of Gas, in some ways, for as much as it tells you about some of the characters, shows their origins also doesn't really tug at some threads that other episodes do extensively. It's a really effective bottle episode. So dear listener, if you, like me, have seen very little Firefly, but I think, eh, maybe I'm going to give it a chance, this could be the episode for you. It gives you just enough to kind of know what's going on, but not so much that you need to have a full history of the characters. As long as you know it's a bunch of people on a ship trying to live their lives, you'll be able to figure it out from there. Take my love, take my land, take me where I cannot stand. our series the lord of the rings the scenes of power and seeing as 
Larissa, this has been your first time viewing of these scenes, and that has been one of our lenses into it. I would be very curious to hear your thoughts on the scene for this episode, The Council of Elrond. If you love Lord of the Rings, I am happy for you. I think you would very much get a lot out of the scene, and I am glad for you to enjoy it. I liked that there there was that famous meme. The meme happens in this scene. <laughs> One does not simply walk into Mordor. Two, I think it's nice that the shots did a good job of framing everybody's face. There's obviously several bodies in frame, but the named characters speak <laughs> in this scene in terms of who you've seen before and who you're going to see again. It is funny that, uh, yeah, only the main characters talk until everyone starts arguing. Then all the, the side characters get up Everybody's and rabble, got rabble, an rabble. opinion. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Your character's name is Walla. Yeah. The close-up oh, that they did on everybody's face to show the intensity of it, I thought was a creative way to try to create a sense of intimacy across such a long distance between the characters. As... An initial viewing, I sometimes felt exhausted by how quickly we were cutting by people I didn't really recognize, but maybe if I'd been watching the film from start to finish, I wouldn't have felt the same way. Well, you are introduced to, like, three new main characters in this scene. You get Boromir, Legolas, and Gimli. This is the first appearance of all of them. Mm -hmm. They do an excellent job of lighting them so that everybody's eyes really pop. They have beautiful eyes. Well, yes, we are in Rivendell, in Imladris, the last (laughs) homely house. (laughs) So everything has to be bright and beautiful and glorious. And Orlando Bloom is in the movie now. Mm -hmm. And he blooms. (laughs) I had a number of, given we just uh, are recording this after our Firefly conversation, that if you're listening to this episode all in one sitting, you would have heard just five minutes ago. I had a f- couple of kind of silly thoughts of this time around. I know during the Firefly conversation, I said things that hold up under repeated viewing are things that you're just going to constantly notice new things. And one little detail on this most recent rewatch before we recorded uh, was just the look on Gimli's face after he has said in my, a- well, it's after he's said in my acts, but then after he's now kind of come up to everyone and the- there's a shot of him. And I'm realizing that expression is, Without saying a word, going, yes, I did bring at least two axes to this council meeting. Because he is holding one when he says, and my axe, well, after yeah. previously breaking one trying to break the ring. And he has three axes in the rest of the movies. He has like a Mary Poppins-style situation then, apparently, with as far as an endless axe supply hidden he in some sort of mysterious beard. bag. Oh, that's awesome. I like that theory. You know, I appreciate that you brought up Mr. Gimli. Gimli, son of groin. I resonated with his impulse to see bad thing and be like, well, let's just take care of this year now and smash it that did resonate with me in uh, my experiences with my D character gorg <laughs> would make a very similar move this is true yes and i just thought that was a fun little character moment even though it sort of derailed aspects of the conversation they had together and i thought it was neat how it called back to mysterious evil eye um and its presence because it seems to me and correct me if i'm wrong my understanding of the conversation is that frodo is being hailed as a hero for being willing to go on such a dangerous and dark quest and that's why everybody is coming to his aid in this endeavor and then do we as the audience only know that he's being captured by the spirit of that ring well, as we started watching this, we kind of talked about, like, is the ring, like, kind of trying to pull at everybody? And granted, you could chalk some of this up to just 
his personality in general, but I don't think it's an accident that the first person to speak after each pause point is Boromir because he's the first one to stand up and speak and talk about by the blood of our people or your lands kept safe. Although one is not simply walking to Mordor. He's the first to voice his opinion. He's the first, like you can kind of get the sense and you did proves true later on. Like this is planting the seed of how Boromir is drawn into this whole situation. The rain has the largest effect on the person like directly carrying it or directly possessing it, but it does affect everyone around it. Mm. What an interesting travel party that must be then. If everybody's got like this mood just by being in proximity, the item they're taking. And Boromir brings this up. The risk with this mission is, all right, you have to take it to, you know, the place it was made to destroy it, which is this big volcano in the middle of the evil kingdom. But that's also where the bad guy is. So if you get caught, especially there, well, then he has the ring, which is where all his power is stored in. And he is now back at full power and everyone is you know screwed so you are all in on saying you're going to nail this on the first go round, which i think yes. is a level of confidence that is admirable but dangerous admirable but dangerous i enjoyed watching samwise come to frodo's assistance i have a couple notes here about that specifically one I understand and further appreciate Stevens and Georgia's decision to name their son Samwise because Samwise <laughs> seems to be the best man there. I wrote that he is the only good man here, not leaving his ring-obsessed buddy hanging, which I think is kind. He stepped up for the mission with no personal gain, visibly having no connection to the ring itself, just wanting to make sure his friend Frodo is all right. And I think that that is really charming. And that pulls me forward in the story. The bunch of dudes arguing about stuff that I don't really understand. And maybe it's just because I haven't watched the film consecutively through, haven't been driven to care about in the same way, lost me a little. But I think that if you really have an appreciation for the world building that is happening in this space, you would have a deeper appreciation for it than I do. There is a wonderful series from the YouTube channel XP to level three. I can't believe I'm taking me this long to reference it, but he has a series of three videos for each movie where he does the Lord of the Rings, but it's D and D and the way he describes it is Frodo and Sam are two players. that are relatively new to the game that get really heavy into the role play, but have no idea how combat works. (laughs) (laughs) Merry and Pippin are, are NPCs. Uh, Gandalf and Aragorn are experienced players who either played in prior campaigns or wrote pages upon pages of backstory and then Legolas could never roll anything but a 20. He doesn't lean into too many jokes for Gimli and he has a lot of fun with Boromir but it's mainly going forward uh, from this movie and then into some of the stories later on. So 10 out of 10 would recommend if you find yourself you're a fan of Lord of the Rings and have not watched those videos uh, they might be the right gateway into some of XP to level three's uh, D&D content. I like the camaraderie between all the hobbits. Samwise comes out and he's like, you're not going without me, but then Merry and Pippin, who are also sneaking in to listen to the secret council, mm. join, like, immediately run and join in too. And it's funny, you know, because Pippin is like, yeah, I'll come along with you guys and has no idea what yeah. he's even agreed to. But he's, he's like, my friends are going, so I'm going. He's pl- proud to be part of it. To loop in another franchise that seems like very Hufflepuff and possibly slightly Gryffindor energy. So good for them. Very loyal. Pippin is is pretty Hufflepuffy. Mm. I say proudly. <laughs> the other just, and I, I've said this now twice off mic. I need to actually say it on mic. Because we have with Fellowship of the Rings so many of those intense close-ups. With this scene, it does a few things. Like it changes kind of how you perceive the space as it goes from character to character very close. I think it also, in some respect, the space where that council, like that semicircle, 
wouldn't actually be that big. Like also in this viewing, I was kind of thinking to myself, it's like Boromir has stood up, walked a couple steps and is speaking fairly loudly. He's not far from those guys, the the elves that are closest to him that he's speaking to. But I also just appreciate just again, like all of the little character, like the way it follows. There is one shot where I think it follows like, okay, Boromir is turned this way. And then as soon as he turns, the camera's following him. So it's like he was looking towards the camera. He's moved and now he's looking towards the camera again. Mm. But the the shot in this scene that is that always gets me is the look on Gandalf's face after he hears Frodo saying, I will take the ring to Mordor. Uh, and there's just so much about just Gandalf knowing what the road ahead looks like and his care for Frodo that is just right there on Ian McKellen's that's, um, face in that's that moment. Good acting by yeah. Sir Ian McKellen. Yeah. Mm. Oh, for Hence sure. his sermonship. His, correct? Yes. <laughs> his, his knighthood. Yes. Uh, he earned that. He, oh, he, yeah, he earned <laughs> that. I love the line that Frodo has right after that when he's like, I'm going to take the rain. It's so sweet. It's such a, like a little, it's such a hobbit thing to say. I love the line that Frodo has right after that one because it sort of exemplifies to me the whole charm of these movies, particularly in the way the characters speak, where he's like, I'll take the rain to Mordor, though I do not know the way. Like, I just love the language used there. It's just very pretty. Mm. That commitment to the journey, even if he doesn't know what it entails, right? Mm -hmm. He knows it's the right thing to do. And, you know, that he's maybe the only one who can do it because everyone else here is just arguing and no one's getting anything done. Mm. If it wasn't clear in the scenes that we selected from overall many strung together in the early part of the movie, the Shire has a decent amount of insulation from Middle Earth and the world at large. And in this scene, we come in and get a good sense of the conflict, even nonviolent conflict, but just general dislike and bias that exists between the kingdoms of men, the dwarves, the elves, and just the, the way the arguments escalate uh, as things progress here. And just to what extent Frodo as a hobbit coming in from the Shire has already carried the ring this far and is willing to go further, is able to quiet the room. And then pull a representative <laughs> from Gondor, a representative uh, from the elves, a representative from the dwarves, and along with uh, Aragorn and Gandalf, who have traveled with them more to that point. The title of the, the film is apt because it's when it's finally said, as, as Elrond names them, the Fellowship of the Ring. That's coming together in that creation of, okay, yes, you guys have in some cases here, in most cases here, maybe even absolutely have reason to despise each other. We are overlooking that for the purposes of serving a greater good here. Mm. And Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, and Boromir are on board with that. One thing it did remind me of was the energy that other films like the first Guardians of the Galaxy film have teased about or diminished. Um, Great. Like We're all standing of, up now. <laughs> what a bunch of <laughs> standing in a circle. like, <laughs> And... I, which is not, I I think that there is something to carrying through and wholeheartedly displaying the sincerity of the moment as well. So it's just interesting to see you compared to the media I've experienced that makes fun of that kind of origin because it is such a staple. So it's easier to wink at it or laugh at it. It was neat to compare that to a scene where it's treated with a sense of, um, I don't know another word for it, with a sense of sincerity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Though you just reminded me of the other silly thing I thought of while we were watching this viewing because in that one of the... Well, it's that shot of Frodo bringing the ring forward and it kind of arcs across and you can see everybody seated around him as the camera moves. 
And because we just watched Firefly and we've been talking about Guardians and DC and other things, I thought to myself, this is our tie-in now from Firefly to this uh, scene of power because Nathan Fillion is in the James Gunn, the Suicide Squad film. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, I'm now picturing this as the cast of the Suicide Squad lined up in these chairs and where Gandalf sticks out because he's sitting there still holding his staff, I'm picturing Harley Quinn with the javelin. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I like goodness. that. As we go forward from this, this is realistically, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like, at least for the rest of this film, the last scene we're going to watch that's mostly talk. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of action and interaction going forward here. That's good, because with the amount of talk I had witnessed, and while I appreciate chit-chat, I think it's important to build the world, um, if I'm to give it my Larissa rating of interest in the overall Lord of the Rings franchise, I would say we dropped down to about 10%. I was like, this this was a real hit to the overall level of engagement on my part, just based on my taste and what I'm interested in. But I think that this is such a coming together that then if what you suggest is true and there is more action to be found down the road, perhaps my mind will be changed. But if this film was just men arguing about what to do next, not for me. Well, We'll see what the ball rock can do. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review, give a rating, subscribe, and share with your friends from wherever you get your podcasts. It all helps Storytelling Breakdown reach more people and grow our community. Check out the Storytelling Breakdown blog, past episodes, reach out, leave a comment, send a message. You can find Storytelling Breakdown on Facebook and Instagram, and you can reach our team at info at storytelling-breakdown.com. Again, people, that is info at storytelling-breakdown.com, not underscore. You can also find our miniseries episodes for Campaign Diaries and RPG Decades at our website and where podcasts are found. Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church. Our podcast is hosted wherever you get your podcasts by John Dawkins and Wayne Shout Productions. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been Storytelling Breakdown. SP Wayne Shout Productions. Wayne Shout. <laughs> <laughs>